Hey, it's Michael, and this is the Kintsugi Podcast. I'll be back in a minute with this week's conversation about resilience. But first, if you wish to create a better life and have a better career, then please visit michaelobrienshift.com and download your free workbook on how to create a better life. In it, you'll discover ways to find more energy for the things and the people who matter most to you so you can create a better tomorrow. Hey there, it's Michael. Welcome back or welcome to the Kintsugi Podcast. It's time for another conversation about resilience. And today we have a wonderful story of resilience. Our special guest is Jill Castle. She goes by Stoma Chameleon on Instagram. And her story just blew me away. My wife, who is a childbirth doula, first heard Jill speak at a conference and immediately got off and sent me a text and said, you need to follow this woman. Her story is amazing. Obviously, my wife knows I geek out on stories of resilience and positivity. You'll hear more about Jill's story, but it started when she was in her ideal job, her dream job, pregnant with their first child. And then she had a very traumatic birth experience. So she shares details about her birthing experience and what happened during the course of a few days and a few weeks. So fair warning, if you're a little squeamish, you may want to skip through that section, but I hope you'll stay with our conversation because what comes out of it is a person who hit rock bottom, but found a way out, found the positivity, the gratitude, the acceptance of her situation, of her journey. There are so many parallels between her story and my story of my last bad day. Obviously, our traumas completely different. But the things that helped us get through it were very much the same. She is an inspiration. I think you'll be just blown away by her positivity and what she's planning to do or what she's already done since her traumatic birth experience. She's preparing to swim across the English Channel, but there's more to it. So I don't want to spoil her story. I want you to dive in and listen to it because you'll be inspired by her resilience, by her positivity, by her grit. So I invite you to sit back, grab your tea, grab your coffee, whatever you do as you get your podcast on and listen to the inspirational story of Jill Castle. Hey, Jill, how's it going? Hi, Michael. I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? Great. I can't wait for this conversation. So I first heard your whole story from my wife. She was attending a birthing conference. And I forget which one actually in this moment, but she heard you speak and she got off the Zoom, I guess, because it's all pandemic conferences. And she was like, you need to follow this woman. You need to like connect with this woman. She has such an incredible story. She was like beaming. And my wife is a tough critic. So she doesn't necessarily get into a lot of that inspirational, motivational stuff sometimes with conferences, but your talk like really lit her up. So thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> it was the International Birth Tear Conference, by the way. Oh, 
Okay, cool. All right. Now that I know, I should know that as a, a proper husband, I should have remembered that. But thank you for that. That's pretty cool. Um, so we're going to get into your story. But first, what I'd love to start just to frame out our conversation, how do you define resilience? Well, I think that's actually very tricky because you can answer that very simply. And for me, on a very basic level, resilience is just simply carrying on, just keeping going. That, But that's that's very basic, really. Resilience for me is actually quite complicated, as it is for most people, I suppose. And it's very closely connected to acceptance. So I think if you've got an acceptance of whatever the situation is that you're in, then that can lead to some sort of form of resilience, if you like. If you can accept what's happening, then you can keep on moving forward with with your life. And so for me, resilience and acceptance, they're sort of one and the same thing, really. One leads to the other. I love that answer because reading through your story and, and also just parallels to mine. In the beginning, I had maybe some awareness, but I didn't have acceptance. The way I would say it, I, I was arguing with reality. Yeah. You know, thinking like, this shouldn't have happened. This is so unfair. Why did this happen to me? You know, my driver shouldn't have been driving that day, this, that, and the other thing. And what I finally realized is that whether it's God, universe, or mother nature that you like, you might talk to, uh, they win 100% of their arguments. And so, so yeah, does reality. Yeah. And so the more I could get into acceptance, I didn't necessarily have to like the situation, but I at least had to accept that what happened happened. And, you know, based on reading about your story and hearing about your story, I, I take it that was a, a big pivot point for you, just accepting what happened. Yeah, absolutely. I had to. The thing is with life, there's no point in fighting things that you can't do anything about. So but for me, there was literally nothing I could do about my situation. There was nothing I could do about what had happened. There was nothing I could do about the effect on my body. So if I didn't accept all of that, then I would just be stuck forevermore in a really unhappy place. So um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is you've got a lot more control over your emotions and how you react to things than you think. And for me, it was pretty much a fork in the road. Am I going to go down the road of not accepting what's happened, fighting against it all the time, wondering why it's happened? Or am I just going to go, right, well, this is what's happened. Can't do anything about it. Let's make the most of what you've got. And I made, it was a conscious decision for me. Um, and that's sort of been the basis of my life ever since, really. Just, it, you know, just crack on, uh -huh, <laughs> what we say in it. the UK. <laughs> <laughs> just crack on. That's so perfect. So let's get into the story. So we sort of danced around the edges. We've, you know, I've alluded to yeah. it. So the audience is probably like, well, what's the story, Michael? What's the story, <laughs> Joe? So so share Share the story with us. Okay. Because you know, it's really so fascinating and it's, it's just beautiful and inspirational. Okay, so I am now 41, but if we go back to when I was 32, I was a serving police officer in uh, the UK. I worked in a really, really busy city centre in Bradford. Uh, really fit, really healthy, um, energetic, happy, you know, uh, yeah, just living my best life, really. I'd always wanted to be in the police, so it took me a couple of years to get in. I got in, and the job was everything I expected it to be and hoped it to be. This is back in 2011, and I felt pregnant. Now, as I've already said, I was very fit and healthy. Um, my pregnancy was pretty straightforward. I felt pregnant easily. 
there was nothing to suggest that anything was going to happen during um, the labour or anything like that. But unfortunately, I went into what is clinically called spontaneous labour, which normal people call uh, premature labour. So I went into premature labour with my baby at six weeks, um, six weeks early. He was 34 weeks. Okay. I, I was 34 weeks pregnant at that time. So when you have a baby, I'm not going to go into graphic details, but basically when you have a baby, the baby helps himself be born. Okay. But because my baby was so little, he was only four pounds seven. He got really tired when he was trying to come out. His heart rate started to crash. All panic, uh, you know, everyone was panicking, all hell broke loose. And they had to whip him out really quickly using forceps, which is a really common way of you know, dealing with an emergency in the in the birthing room. Yeah. So this this was all fine. They got him out, um, and he was absolutely fine. Luckily, they worked on his lungs for a little bit, but he was he was fine. I was told that I'd had a a bad tear, which a lot of women do experience when they have a baby. And again, I wasn't really concerned. I sort of thought, right, fine, I've had a tear. Fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll I'll just deal with it. Um, there was a lot of sort of female ego if you like because I thought right well I'm not going to make a fuss about this because women give birth all the time Uh, so I'm not going to make a fuss whatever the result is no matter how painful it is I'm just going to get on with it you're going to be strong yeah I'm just going to be strong I'm going to crack on so anyway it wasn't long after I'd had the baby so the next day uh, the next morning I was in a lot of pain and if we fast forward a few days, I essentially spent three or four days hardly able to walk, in agony, nobody listening to me. And eventually I collapsed in the corridor and I was found by a midwife who realised, you know, things were not as they should be. And I was actually incontinent by that point. And oh, wow. um, that's when you, I had stool coming out everywhere and it was absolutely hellish was the only way to describe it. It was yes. really frightening, actually. Because I'd never, I'd never not been in control of my body before, so that was that was quite that was quite frightening. And anyway, as a result of this, I was examined, and they realised I had a fourth degree tear, which essentially means, I'm sorry guys, but <laughs> this is what it means. It is, it's it's reality, right? So yeah, it's reality. It's reality. You're basically, torn into all the way through your vagina, all the way through your rectum, through your sphincter, and I had no control. And there was stool feces going everywhere. Everywhere. This was a ma- this this was missed, so I wasn't repaired properly. It led to a huge abscess, oh, and that's yeah. why I basically collapsed because this was starting to turn septic. Mm-hmm. This abscess had then burst and caused a rectovaginal fistula, which is a hole between the rectum and the vagina. So you've got stool coming out of the vagina. Yes. So, you know, I was in a, t- you know, I couldn't have been in more of a mess. And they actually had to examine me under gas and air because, they, well, they couldn't get anywhere near me. Yes. So as a result of this examination, they said, right, we're going to have to give you a stoma. We're going to have to give you a colostomy because we need to divert the feces away from this infected area. We need to give it a chance to heal. Now, for the people who don't know what a colostomy is, which I didn't at the time, bearing mm-hmm. in mind I had a seven-day-old baby, and this is the operation I was facing. Yes. Uh, colostomy is when you take out the the large intestine, you take it out of a hole in the abdomen, and the bit of the bowel that's out on your stomach there, that's called the stoma, and out of there 
becomes your feces and it goes into a bag that's attached onto your abdomen and and that's a stoma bag. Yes. So this is a pretty major operation and this is a pretty major thing to try and get your head round at the age of 32 that, right, I'm not going to be going to the toilet out of my bottom anymore. I'm going to be going into a bag on my abdomen. And it's like just weeks later, you were like feeling good, strong, fit. Early 30s, yeah, which is great. Going to be a mom, like on top of the world, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, a roundabout, you know, a 180, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but I I actually wasn't that bothered about the fact I was getting a stoma at that precise moment because I just wanted the infection to go away and because they said it was temporary. So I sort of thought, right, okay. This is what we need to do. Uh, you know, I can deal with this because this is going to take away my pain. This is going to solve the situation. Gotcha. So another week in hospital, we eventually leave. And my husband, because um, I like my life to be as complicated as possible. <laughs> so my husband is an offshore diver. So he had to go back to work offshore. And I couldn't drive. All my family were 150 miles away. So I didn't have anybody to help me. So my mum actually had to come down and help me for three weeks. But essentially that very first year, I was on my own a lot of the time because my husband wasn't there. I didn't have any family. And I was dealing with this new stoma bag, which kept leaking all the time. Um, I had a septic fistula tract, which meant I couldn't walk really much at all. So I always gauge it by a, a walk that I used to do all the time. And before I had Sam, my baby, it would take me 15 minutes and it took me an hour and 20 minutes to walk that walk wow that that that's like that's what we're talking about in terms of how disabled I was and um obviously my mental health just crashed you know yeah. I had postnatal depression obviously didn't bond with my baby at all yes. yeah. I had post-traumatic stress syndrome diagnosed severe anxiety and your standard depression, if you like. Um, so, yeah, that was all. And th- th- bear in mind, this has all happened within two weeks of having a baby, my yeah. first baby. <laughs> so, yeah, like all of it, like just having a baby alone, you know, the, the, the audience doesn't necessarily know. My, my wife has a childbirth doula. You know that, Jill, because yeah. we've chatted. So I know a lot about birth and just the whole, you know, the process leading up to birth, the whole birthing process, and then what happens after. Um, because you know we talk about her profession so just just all that and having you know as a parent there's so much involved with that first child yeah plus all of this yeah it it was but then the extra whammy of the fact that I was then in the process of losing my job and this for me out of everything that has been the thing I've struggled with more than anything so when we thought it was temporary this this wasn't going to be an issue for my career but ultimately what they realized was that the consultant had done such a terrible repair she'd left no viable tissue for me to be repaired with and essentially this stoma bag was going to be permanent and as soon as I realized this stoma bag was going to be permanent I thought well how am I going to do my job you know, I wasn't coping with the stoma bag at all. You know, if I went down to the shops with my baby, I was having to hand over my baby to a complete stranger, always made sure it was a 
a shop worker, but you know, the bag would leak, have to hand my baby over to someone, rush off to the toilet, clean myself up. It was just completely unmanageable. Mm-hmm. And my mental health was just so profoundly damaged that I just couldn't I just couldn't even cope with the conversation about going back to work. Um and, and in the UK, I don't know how it works elsewhere, but in the UK they they have quite funny rules about how long you can stay office bound. Okay. And essentially I would be office bound because I wouldn't be going out on the um operationally. I was the first person with a stoma in that particular force. They didn't really know what to do with me. So the ultimate result was I was going to be medically pensioned out of the police. Ah. And that for me, that really destroyed me because it had been my life's ambition to be in the police. I you know, absolutely loved it. It was everything to me. And being in the police is much more than than a job. It's like a whole identity. You're part mm-hmm. of a whole a whole part, you know, like a whole area of society that other people don't get to be in. You know, I get to go beyond the police cordon. I get to go into the houses. I get to know what's happening behind the headlines. And yeah, it was, um, that, that was absolutely devastating for me. And that's actually where my main sort of PTSD came from. Because if I saw a police car behind me when I was driving, I would have to pull over. Until mm-hmm. it passed, I couldn't. I couldn't look at the. Couldn't look at the police car. I lived in fear of being pulled over for some reason. Not that I was ever doing anything, but I used to. Oh, you know, what if I've got a, a light out in my car and I would be pulled over by the police, and I would have to speak to the police, and I would have to get into the car, and I can't get into the car. I can't speak to the police because it reminds me of what I've lost, and that was really hard. Um, and but the police actually made me go into the police station for some of my. Uh, appointments okay and I remember the very last time I went in because I refused to go in again after that I met all my old team and I showed off the baby which is you know that should be a really happy time yeah it should be like oh here I've come back this is my yeah baby. here's my it's baby wonderful. yeah and everyone you know, and, so and it was lovely but then I was just thinking but I'm no longer with you like you're you're not you're not my family anymore and yeah and I came home and I cried solidly for about four days it was just that was really hard so Again, this is all happening in the first year, you know, and, and then we had the whole finances thing. What are we going to do about the money? Lost my job and lost my pension, my only pension. Ah. And in the UK, the police pension is a really good one. So, so yeah, by 2012, the end of 2012, I was in a total, yeah, total mess, massively overweight, mentally struggling, about to lose my job in the middle of suing the um hospital and um yeah I wasn't in a good place and did you know anyone at the time that also had gone through something like you have gone through maybe not with the job and stuff but just uh, a traumatic birth experience did you have anybody like well I'm or, or you just felt all alone like I'm the only one that's ever experienced this yeah I- there was literally nobody. And, and you know, when I, I used to go to the doctor or, like, I, I used to get admitted to the hospital as an emergency quite often because of infection. And um, the stoma nurses, the GPs, no matter who I, who I met along, my, along the way, all said, oh, I've never met anyone like you before. Oh, wow. This is really unusual. You know, and you're like, well, okay, that's fine that you say that, but... 
I'm a bit sick of being the only one. Um, So I I did find support groups online for people with stomas. But again, I just found them all really depressing because a lot of forums are full of people who who have got problems. That's why they're on there. They're looking for answers. So every time I went on, I just thought, oh, right, well, this is it then, isn't it? you know this is this is my life it's just going to be leaking bags misery uh depression uh being overweight you know god that's it is that is that all there is you know that's it yeah and then like you know going on website forums and just looking to be heard and seen and just looking for like in some ways online therapy yeah and online online answers yeah, but what I really wanted was some positivity and some yeah. hope. But of course, all those people—they're not all on online forums. They're off living their life. Yes. So I then came off the forums, and um, I read an article. Um, I think I was in a hosp- hospital actually, and I read an article in a magazine, and it, um, yeah, it changed my life. So what was that article? Because I wanted to ask you, what was that moment? So you like 2012, you're, we'll call it rock bottom. And then where where do you go from here? So that was the rock bottom, moved home. And it must have been about the end of 2013, 2014. And it was an article by somebody who had a stoma, who was an athlete. So that was the first thing. Oh, right. you're, You're an athlete. Okay. And she said, you know, I'm really, really grateful for the life that my stoma has given me. And I thought, oh, right. And and that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody say, express gratitude for their stoma. Now, the listeners might not know this, but the vast majority of people who have stomas are people who have really severe diseases like Crohn's and colitis, which is, you know, really severe inflammation of the bowel or bowel cancer or something like that. So that was her background, Crohn's and colitis. Okay. But anyway, I, I just started thinking, well, you know, hang on, what has my bag given me? Because it had always been focused on what it had taken away. It's taken away my job. It's taken away my bond with my baby. It's taken away happiness. It's taken away exercise. You know, it was all like negative. So then I thought, well, do you know what? If I didn't have this bag, I would be incontinent, totally incontinent. Um, so I wouldn't be leaving the house. So because I have got this bag, I can leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> and I know it sounds really obvious, but I sort of thought, all oh, right, so it has actually given me something. And, yeah. and then I started researching into what uh, how stoma products had changed. So I looked back to like the 1950s. Oh, gosh. And, and I saw, you know, the hor- horrific contraptions that they used to use then. And I thought, you know what, Jill, just get a grip. I mean, they're amazing. The bags that you've got these days are amazing. And and at that point, I'd actually found the bag that worked for me. And I didn't really have leaks anymore. And I was able to do things. But I, I was like transfixed with the whole, oh, but I can't do that if I've got a bag because it might leak. Or, yeah. or I might get hernia or, or, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that. I was like hiding behind it. Yeah. But they, this all started the whole thing in my mind of actually, no. This has given me something and, and this is this has given me a second chance at life because I'm not incontinent. I can't yeah. actually do and this person's an athlete. Um and, and I do remember reading on the forums a lot of people saying, you know, every time I look down at my bag, 
it reminds me of a terrible trauma that I've that I've been through. But I do remember thinking that I was never going to look at my stoma like that, and I never have, because I thought, well, this stoma is with me for the rest of my life. So if I look at that with such negativity, well, well, you've done it. You've destroyed your life, haven't you? So I've I've actively never, never thought of that, even though I hadn't thought about the positive life that it had given me. You know, I had certainly never looked at it and, and hated it. Sometimes I do. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, so, yeah, that was that was like the beginning really. And I, I just started to think, well, come on, like you've only got one life. You can still walk, you can still talk. She's an athlete. And then it begins the whole thing in my mind of, well, if she can, why can't I? Ah, uh, yes. And um and I'm really very stubborn. <laughs> you probably <laughs> realize I'm very stubborn. <laughs> and if I decide to do something you know I'm actually quite obsessive I suppose I'm quite focused so um yeah so I thought right this is getting ridiculous I'm I'm out of breath going up the stairs I have never been out of breath going up the stairs in my life this is outrageous I'm only 34 or whatever yeah so I saw an advert for an online um sorry an indoor cycling class okay hadn't been cycling for about 20 years never cycled with my stoma bag but I thought right no you're gonna do it just go like what's the worst that can happen so I went and I was worried because I didn't know where the toilets were didn't know if my bag would rub when I was on the the bike and yeah it was exhausting um I know that you're a cyclist and when I stood up on the pedals I could only do two rotations and I had to sit down you know I was exhausted (laughs) but I did it and so I signed up straight away to do two two to three classes a week. Oh, that's so great. That this is what I'm gonna do. And it was actually run by a local triathlon club. Okay. So I'd always wanted to do triathlons before all of this had happened to me. And I had been like so many other people and said, Oh, I can't do that. That's too hard. Yeah. Oh no, I couldn't do that. Oh no, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do anything like that. But then I just started to think, well, they've done it, why can't I? You know, the, the, of course you can you can do it. You can do whatever. And, and I, you know, I started to think, well, do you know what, Jill? You have just survived the worst three years of your whole entire life. Numerous operations. You've lost your job. You know, you've put on so much weight. You've had, you know, I've started to develop panic attacks and severe anxiety and all of that. And I thought, but do you know what? You've, you, you've actually come through that. So what's the harm in trying a triathlon? So that was the next thing that I did. I um, did a a triathlon, a sprint triathlon. I was the only person in the club, obviously, with a stoma. And I had to contact the race organisers with all my questions about, well, what do you do at transition? Which is when you're changing from one element to another. Uh, What happens if my bag leaks? Where are the toilets? All these questions. And, you know, they were just lovely. They were so welcoming and you know, really put my my mind at rest. And um, I did it, you know, and that's part of what feeds into resilience for me. It's about like little, you know, you just like little bricks that you put together that gives gives you confidence to to keep going. So the first thing that I'd done is I'd accepted my stoma. I'd accepted that it had actually saved me from a life of incontinence. And, you know, my, my little, my first little brick was my indoor cycling class that I went to and I did it and then I went and joined the triathlon and I did a triathlon 
And I thought, oh, I've done that. Right. I can do, do something else. And, it, you know, it all starts to bring confidence. It's not just confidence, really. It, it was about taking back control of my life. You know, this event had happened to me. The whole life had gone upside down, back to front. But I just started to think, no, do you know what? I, I want to take back control. I don't want to be surprised by another event. I want to know that I can handle it. And that's sort of been my motivation is to, uh, yeah, just sort of, I like to confront all my fears because I don't like to be frightened of something. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to like, you're going to lean into it. Like, uh, definitely the, the American Buffalo, you know, like the, there's the cow and the Buffalo. So yeah. when a storm comes, a cow will run away from the storm and hide. Yeah. A yeah. Buffalo will run right into it. Yeah. That's me. And so it's this whole like, like lean, you know, when we talk about leaning into it, like, you know, it's like leaning in like a buffalo leans into the storm. Yeah. Um, and I, there's so, uh, Jill, there's so much to your story I just love. So one is like the power of gratitude. Do you have a, uh, I would call it a formal gratitude practice today? Do you do, or is it just something that's now just part of your DNA and part of your moment? Yeah, it's part of my DNA, I suppose. But I, I've noticed like the, the power of, of, of your brain how you can train it yes. so i've trained my brain to like my, my filter for my brain is basically if this thought is not going to help me proceed it's not going to make me happy it's not allowed in so with the whole coronavirus pandemic for example you know i was in lockdown just like everybody else but i wasn't focusing on what i couldn't do and i wasn't thinking about how long it was going to go on for i was just like you're right yeah but it's sunny today i'm going to go for a nice walk and then yeah. tonight I'm going to watch a nice film. And <laughs> I have no idea how long this is going to go on for. So therefore, I'm not going to think about that. And, you know, it just it is second nature to, to just sort of, you just have to keep it small and manageable and take yeah. little things that make you happy. And I think that's that's really important that people don't overwhelm themselves because life is unknown. So don't spend all this time worrying about it because... Pointless. You can't control it. Yeah, you can't. You, all you have is this moment. Um, yeah. What was the community like? So we went. So I love how gratitude sort of got you into acceptance, and then you were, you know, there's a little bit of like stubbornness to like, you know what? Damn it, I'm gonna like, I'm if she can do it, I can do it. So yeah. what was the reception or the response from those early spin classes and the triathlon club? Because I imagine you're the first person they've ever met with a stoma. Yeah, well, I think, um, well, yeah, they were all really welcoming and lovely and friendly and nobody was bothered. It, I, I certainly wasn't made to feel like I shouldn't be there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that people deal with things. And you can probably guess by my personality. What you see is what you get. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Sure. So my approach to pretty much everything is, right, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to tell you I have a stoma. This is what a stoma is. This is the bag. This is what's happened. A lot of people are very private and they don't deal with things like that, which isn't wrong. That's just people's personality. So maybe people in the tri club had known people with a stoma, but they hadn't realized. So I was probably the first person just to be totally out there. <laughs> just to say, right, I've got a stoma. I don't care. This is the crack. Um, you know, I might need to go to the toilet when we're out on a bike ride or, uh, and I'm grateful that I've got this sort of personality because it's easier to deal with, I think, because I 
I don't know, I get confidence really from just speaking out. Absolutely. And and just owning it. So one question I was given during my recovery, because a lot of what you shared, I also went through like gratitude helped me see what I still had and could do. Because up until that moment, all I focused in on everything I lost, like my whole identity as an athlete and was I going to be a, a provider? What kind of dad I was like, so, so similar. Got to acceptance. Uh, but I was still having some pity party moments. Like when the hospital was, when the hospital was dark and quiet, when visiting hours were over, that's when I got really low. And I unloaded on one of my mentors and I was like, this is so unfair. And just all, all this, you know, as, as I was dealing with acceptance, trying to get there. And he, he gave me this bit of advice. He's like, hey, Michael, all the events in your life are neutral until you label them. So you get to choose the labels, you know, so you get to choose how you wish to look at this. And then he he asked, like, did this happen for you or did this happen to you? So when you think about your experience, Jill, do you see it as, well, this really happened for me versus to me? Like, I was just curious as how do you view that? Yeah. Do you know, this is the weirdest thing, probably, that you just want me to say, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. It has honestly turbocharged me. It, it's um, given me a kick up the backside, basically, to say, right, come on, you know, I spent, I mean, I was really fit and active as a teenager. I was on the hockey team, the netball team, you know, I did everything. Drank my way through my 20s as a lot of people do wasted my youth wasted my potential took lots of things for granted all of this happened a lot was taken away from me and I just it it just really makes you appreciate the the time that you've got and the potential that you have and I just absolutely refuse at any point in my life to look back and regret not trying something I just I yeah, I just I get really frustrated with people when they say things like, "Oh, do you know what, Jill? I would love to try scuba diving, but I think it'll make me claustrophobic." And I was like, "Well, so did I. I thought that, <laughs> but do you know what I did? I paid ten pounds or twenty dollars, whatever, for a voucher to try out scuba diving, and I wasn't claustrophobic, <laughs> and I loved it. Like." I just I, when people say, "Oh, I'd love to do this, but yes, what's the what's the but for? You just do it. You just try it. You just give it a go." And 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 ever since I've accepted what's happened, I've oh god, I've just gone. I've done so much. I've been skydiving, which was horrific. I've been scuba diving. I've uh, cracked my fear of swimming in the sea. I've done endurance events Uh, you know I've done so many things I've done podcasts I've been on the radio I've been on tv it's really transformed my life and it's it's I'm just so grateful to be given all these opportunities to provide a bit of hope for other women who are going through what I was going through because to me this is what this is all about like yes this is what I said earlier that when you're going through a traumatic experience a lot of the time you're just surrounded by frankly, miserable people who aren't coping. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to find someone who had coped and who was happy. Yeah. And I'm that person. Yeah, and I you're want, that I person want to show for so that. many people. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, 
that 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 just that kicks ass. That's so awesome. Um, so I want to go back to swimming in the sea. Yeah. So, because in 2023 you're going to cross the English Channel. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, it's for us here in the states. It's like that. That is sort of like the iconic like endurance swim. In the U.S., it's probably a Cuba to Florida. That's a big one here. So, why? Like, why? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a really good can, question. Because you can, you can, but like, tell, share with us about what went through your mind to say that's what I'm going to, I'm going to do next, and just where you are in your training and your prep. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. And um, when I did my my half Ironman a few years ago, four years ago today, actually, um, I had to do open water. I'm frightened of the open water, particularly the sea. Very embarrassingly because I watched Jaws when I was eight. <laughs> and yeah, but I, I, it took me a year and a half before I would open my eyes with my face in the water without having a panic attack. But I, a year and a half took me, you know, gradually open my eyes for a few seconds in the water, not panicking. Anyway, that went on for a year and a half. And I've kind of cracked swimming in the sea, um, which was like a huge thing, a huge, huge thing for me. To no, that's huge because it's so open. It's just yeah. It, well, your mind, I haven't done. Yeah, I haven't done the swimming on my own in the middle of the ocean and swimming at night. But I absolutely know that I can do this, a hundred percent. And like you say, it's the swimming the English Channel. It's it's like the Everest of open water swimming. Yes, definitely for the UK. And nobody with a stoma has done this before. A lot of people with stomas don't go swimming at all because they're so paranoid about the bag leaking, about people seeing the bag, all these things that prevent them getting in the water. And I, it's just sort of my way of going, look for heaven's sake. I can sign up to swim the channel. This is how confident I am in the stoma products that we've got nowadays to to enable us to live these active, happy lives. So it's a real, yeah, attention grabbing. (laughs) It it, is. So it's so cool. So how long will it take you? How long is that swim hours wise? Yeah, well, it's, it's 21 miles as the seagull flies, but it's not 21 miles because of the current. So it's probably about... 25 miles you swim in total and i think the average people takes about 14 to 16 hours but i mean this is all dependent on nice weather you know right tide and all that sort of thing so i'm not i'm not really thinking about how long it'll take me i'm just concentrating on getting it done yeah, one, um, one. Okay, I just keep swimming. Yeah, just <laughs> so, keep swimming, basically, until like, like I get to France. Yeah, <laughs> and so you have a crew near you, right? You have a you have a support boat okay. near you. Yeah, well, it's I live on in the northeast of England. I live about nine hours drive from Dover, which is where we swim from. Okay. And in the UK, nine-hour drive is literally the other end of the world. So that's yes. a, big, that's a <laughs> big distance for us here. And um, But yeah, no, I've got my coach here. I've got my nutritionist and my physio. I've got my boat pilot, my boat down in Dover. I've booked them. I've got some uh, Dover Channel swim camp coming up in October this year to, okay. to do a night swim. Ah! Uh, <laughs> there's been that's... nervously hysterical laughter. 
I mean, at the end of the day, just the very fact that I've signed up for this, that tells me how far I've come. So, yeah, I just think nothing ventured, nothing gained. Absolutely. You got to give it a, you got to give it a whirl. It's like, because you can, like, that's the thing. That's the thing. The, the magical thing about life is that when we step fully into it and we stop listening to those conversations that we're having in our head that are not healthy, we can do so much. Absolutely. Like we, we limit ourselves with our stories. We do. And stories from our youth, stories from society, that when we can quiet that chatter, we can do so much. And and when and we start small, that's what I love about your story and your advice is like you you, know, you chip away at it and chip away at it brick by brick. And with each brick, the story gets healthier, the story gets better, and we gain yeah. confidence. Yeah. And then we look back like, well, okay, we did a spin class for you, your spin class. And then it was a sprint triathlon. That was a, yeah. a, half, mar a half Ironman. And now this channel swim. I, I, I'm actually quite curious what you're going to do to top the channel swim. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, you'll, I'm you'll be in climbing, so be Everest next. <laughs> Everest, you know, you do like a Kilimanjaro. You'll be out in Kona for the full Ironman. <laughs> I, it's so I just I love everything about your story, Jill. It just <laughs> and now as we talked before we hit record, you know, your trauma and my trauma, different traumas, um, but we're. You know, here's the thing. A lot of times we compare traumas too, right? And so that my mm. feeling is, is like, we're all going through something. Yeah. We've all, we've all had something. Some are as dramatic as yours and others. Some are maybe a little bit smaller, but it's still something. It's still stuff in our backpack that we yeah. have to empty out. And through gratitude and getting to acceptance and having, I would say, the right Peloton in, you know, like, like, who are you riding with in life? Are they bringing yeah. out the best in you? Or who are you swimming with in life? Are they bringing out the best in you? Like, absolutely. Through all that, you can uh, you can accomplish so much. You absolutely can. And, you know, this is why I started my, my Stoma Chameleon blog and website last year, because this was that was all during the coronavirus pandemic, and it was just misery absolutely everywhere. And I just thought, no, do you know what? People need to know that they can get through these awful times. People really need to know that there's always hope. And, and that's really why why I started the whole thing up, was just to like a foil to what was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started this podcast, the Kintsugi podcast, right around March, April of last year. Yeah. Because I was like, I think, I think we're going to need it. I think yeah. we're going to need stories of optimism, of hope, and to embrace, you know, in the spirit of Kintsugi, the Japanese art form, to embrace our scars. Yeah. To, so to, to look not at your stoma bag as a sign of weakness, but actually it's a sign of resilience, it's a sign of our badassery that we, we can get through things. And in the early days of my recovery, when I looked at all my scars, I, I did see them as symbols of weakness that I had been broken. Mm-hmm. And then through the lens of my youngest daughter, she was like, I think they're cool, Dad. And I was like, well, if you think they're cool, then maybe I can think they're cool. And then I've, a few days later, I got the notion or I learned about the concept of Kintsugi art. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, we can, we can have some breaks. We can have some scars or blemishes. 
and we can be put back together more beautifully. Like, and really just embrace all that. And so embrace yeah. those blemishy, scarry, wrinkly moments, not as signs of weakness, but actually like, this is, this is how we triumph. This is like, yeah, this is that. our strength. Yeah. So um, I think we still need some of those because the world is going to keep spinning faster and faster. And we're going to have, you know, left turns and right turns. It's, you know, that's, as you mentioned earlier, life is uncertain. All we have is this moment um, to like really stay in it. So do you have a, just out of curiosity as we wrap up, do you, do you have a mindfulness practice? How, how do you, do you have something just formally that you do to be able to stay in the moment or is it just part of what you've learned through your journey? No, but I do a lot of cold water swimming and that makes you practice mindfulness without realizing because when, and then we're talking about really cold water. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, you're getting into the really cold sea, just a swimming costume throughout the winter. And it, all you can think about is your breathing, about the air, about the sea, you know, that, that makes you abandon everything else that's going on in your life. And that, that has really helped me with my mental health just to have force my mind to have those moments where it's just ah, empty of everything it. apart from the cold water, my breathing, the tides, oh, standing on a crab, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, because I'm not very good at being still and I'm not very yeah. good at my brain being still. So that that's been the way for me to make my brain be still. That's awesome. I love it. I, do you know the gentleman uh, named Wim Hof? Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's yeah. a big cold water plungy kind of guy and yeah. breath work. And, you know, he's got a whole bunch of people here in the States taking cold showers. So, yeah, uh, I have to say, I'm not into just being in cold water. For me, it yeah. has to be in a nice place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and also, well, I also hear, too, that you need to be moving. That's one way for you yeah. to process everything. It's like to be in in, in motion. To, yeah as we mentioned, to keep swimming. So, yeah. so how do people find out about you? I, you know, obviously Instagram and other places. So can you share how they can reach you and also follow your English channel journey? Yeah. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Stoma Chameleon. So that's literally Stoma and then the animal Chameleon. And I've got a website, which is www.stomachameleon.com. And the, the the idea behind the name is chameleons can just adapt to their environment and what's going on and we're the same. So that's really where that comes from. And a little bit of the song, Karma Chameleon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little culture club. I think it's a good band to be happy with. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. so, so cool. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and sharing you. Stories. It's so inspiring and I hope people get motivated to do just a little bit more after hearing your story. So I love it. Thank you very much, Michael. Hey, there's Michael. Welcome back. Isn't Jill amazing? Oh, what a fantastic story. Just the grit and the positivity and the resilience to keep going. I just, I loved it. I hope you loved it too. Crack on, as she would say. Get after it. Embrace life. You know, things happen. Things happen to all of us. Things happen to me. Once we can get to acceptance that things do happen, now we can get into some action. We can see our scars, or in her case, her bag, 
not as marks of weakness, but of strength. That's the whole Kintsugi spirit, that our scars, our blemishes, our wrinkles, our gray hairs, all of it, that's our story. We can either curl up in a ball and play the victim, or we can crack on and show the world all of who we are, scars, blemishes, stoma bags and all, and embrace life. Take advantage of this one wild and precious life that we're all given, the pull from Mary Oliver. So I hope you enjoyed our interview with Jill. If you did, please leave us a note, leave a comment. I hope you also subscribe and just share this interview with your Peloton. That would mean a lot just to spread her message and hopefully build a following to root her on when she swims across the English Channel here in 2023. So until next week in our next conversation about resilience, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. Remember to pause, breathe, and reflect. And of course, have fun storming the castle. We'll talk to you next week.